Come on, and we all said together, amen, amen, amen. Come on, if you're watching this live, go ahead, let us know in the chat. Give me a good amen. Give me a good amen in the chat. Uh, I, I, it's funny that, that Samson sees a young Philistine woman. He sees her. Now, he's not supposed to date Philistine women. He, he, he is anointed to kill Philistines. Ain't it funny how what you're anointed to kill is the very thing you're attracted to? In, in, in probably week four of this sermon series, we're going to talk about appetites versus attractions. But that's a whole nother sermon. But this starts with he sees. He sees a Philistine woman. He is supposed to be dating and marrying Israelite women, Jewish women. There are enough women uh, that are a part of the people of God for Samson to be with. But man... And Philistine girls hit different, okay? The, it, it, come on, don't act like you don't uh, struggle with the same thing. Uh, it's funny. When, when I was single, it's like my youth pastor or people would say, you know, do not be unequally yoked. You got to date girls in the church. And it's funny how the enemy would always bring somebody my way who was not somebody at the church. And I would start compromising. I would start trying to figure out, well, you know, they believe in God, you know, they're a good person, right? And I know I'm supposed to date Christians. I know that I'm supposed to date somebody who agrees with my faith. I'm supposed to date somebody who's spiritually mature. But it's funny how the enemy will start to give you an eye for people that you know you got no business being in a relationship with. And the Bible tells us that he sees a Philistine girl, and then he sees a prostitute, and eventually he sees Delilah. I find it very, very, very ironic that the pattern that we see in Samson's life is that every time he's about to fall into sin, every single time he's about to fall prey to the enemy's temptation, it starts with his eyeballs. And then in verse 21 of Judges chapter 16, the Bible tells us that the Philistines seized him. And for whatever reason, they gouged out his eyes. Now, this may be a sad day for Samson, but I remember the first time I read this and I thought to myself, oh, that's not just the enemy gouging out his eyes. Maybe, just maybe, this is God gouging out his eyes because the number one thing that has led to downfall in Samson's life has been his eyeballs. You know what? God's grace actually comes in two forms. The, and Samson experiences both forms. The first form of God's grace is God's grace comes in the fact that you didn't get caught. Come on, we all have the testimony of not getting caught. I, I know you have a testimony of you did something in your life, and then what? You didn't get caught. Adam and Eve, right? They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they don't die Immediately, sometimes the worst thing that can happen is for you to get away with sin. Because what does it do? It makes you think you can get away with sin the next time and get away with sin the next time and get away with sin the next time. And when God gives you grace and allows you to escape the consequences of any given situation, sometimes we can start to abuse that grace. So God's grace comes in a second form. Remember, the first form of God's grace is, you know what? You didn't get the consequences that you deserve. 
But here's the second form of God's grace. The second form of God's grace is when you get caught. Caught! Red-handed. Why? Why is that grace? Well, that's grace because the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. For a lot of us, you're mad because you got caught. You call it the devil. It is not the devil that the Philistines gouged out this man's eyes. It's actually God's grace that the Philistines gouged out his eyes because it was his eyeballs that kept leading him into sin and into temptation. And I'm interested in the fact that God finally introduces pain into Samson's life. Because if you look at Samson's life, you'll see a man who keeps running away from pain. And I want to give you my big thought for this first week of don't touch my hair. I want to give you my big thought, okay? Actually, I want to look at this camera right here. I'm going to give you my big thought, okay? Your capacity for greatness is always going to be capped at your pain tolerance. All right, come on. I'm going to say it again. Your capacity for greatness is always going to get capped at your pain tolerance. Your pain tolerance. You cannot be great if you cannot tolerate pain. And Samson is the kind of person that every single time something is about to be painful, Samson uses women as a way to self-soothe, pacify himself, and numb his pain. Come on, I actually, give me this camera again. Come on, I got to talk right to you, okay? If you're watching this, I need you to get this. You can write this down, quote me. This This is good theology, okay? Listen to me. It's unfair for the church to condemn people of sinful behavior if we do not address the underlying issue. The underlying issue underneath sinful behavior is humanity's desire to self-soothe their pain. You want to know the best definition of sin I've ever heard? The best definition of sin I've ever heard is this, is humanity's attempt at self-soothing its pain. That's all sin is. Sin is your desire to try to pacify, self-soothe, and numb the pain that you're dealing with. So, so, so let's be real. You think you're dating that girl because the sex is good. No, no, no. That's not why you date her. You're actually dating her because the sex numbs you of all the pain that you've dealt with in your life. You think you're dating that dude just because what? But because he's romantic? No. That's not why you date him. You're dating him even though you know it's dysfunctional because he numbs something inside of you that you are uncomfortable facing. All sin is, is humanity's desire, proclivity, need to self-soothe pain. And so I I don't want to condemn you of sin. Oh, no, baby, I got grace for you because I know how it feels to self-soothe pain. I remember remember me and my wife going through the pain of a miscarriage, and I would look at her, who was in the middle of quarantine, and I'd be like, what you want to eat tonight? You know what I'm saying? Because I'm like, look, the world's falling apart. I don't know when we're getting paid again. We've lost a baby. Man, somebody hand me some fried chicken. You know why? Because I'm trying to self-soothe my pain. 
And I would contend that really, you don't have a sin issue. You have an inability to tolerate pain. That's your issue. You have a pain tolerance problem, not a sin problem. You have an inability to actually tolerate pain. And finally, God introduces some pain into Samson's life. He says, hey, it's your eyeballs that keep getting you into trouble. So you know what we're going to do? I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to send you these Philistines, and these Philistines are about to gouge out your eyes because the last thing we need is a leader who does not know how to tolerate pain. Here's what I want to give you tonight. Here's what I want to give you. If you're watching this live, if you're watching this as, as something that's already been recorded, I want to give you five kinds of pain that everybody needs. Five kinds of pain that everybody needs. See, uh, Samson actually experienced some pain early on in his life. He experienced some serious pain. See, he had a, a, a previous wife. He had his first wife. He's actually in love with this woman. Before he met the Philistine, before he met the prostitute, before Delilah, see, he had a woman that he loved, that he cared about, and at his wedding, he gets into this whole fiasco with the Philistines, and they end up killing his wife. And Samson never deals with the pain of grief and loss. And because he never deals with the pain, because he wants to run away with the pain, because he wants to make jokes about the pain, because he wants to self-medicate his own pain, because he wants to self-soothe his own pain, because he wants to pacify his pain, he winds up in the arms of a woman named Delilah because he does not have the spiritual maturity to address his pain. Can I ask you a question tonight? Is it that you have a sin problem or is it that you've been running away from dealing with all your pain? People say things like, man, you should really get a therapist. And you think to yourself, I ain't never going to do that. Why? Because you have become a professional at running away from your pain. I'll tell you a story, actually. It's not planned. But um, growing up, I had youth leaders uh, who were like, man, you, got, you have a lust issue. You have a lust issue. You got to figure out how to get some self-control because you have a lust issue. And I remember uh, going off to an organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And I'm in Orlando, Florida, and I finally forgave my father. For those of you who are watching this who don't know, my father took me to a crack house for the first time when I was five years old. My dad was in and out of the home. My dad served an 18-year prison sentence. And so my father um, was, was really, really, really did a lot of damage to me as a man. And I did not get the validation from my father that I really needed that I wanted. And you know what happened? I thought that I had a lack of self-control. I thought I had a lust issue. Because that's what everybody at church told me. They said, you had a lust issue. Man, you had a lust issue. You, you just, you want women's attention so bad. You want girls' attention so bad. You're, you're this, you're that. You got a lust issue. Everyone diagnosed me as someone who had a lust problem because of my actions. But you know what happened when I forgave my father? I forgave my father and out of nowhere, got the ability to be abstinent and went on the longest stretch of abstinence that I'd ever experienced in my life because the issue was never lust. The issue was pain. 
I had pain as it related to me and my father's relationship. There was disappointment and there was pain and there was hurt and there were real issues that were deeper than just sexual gratification or lust. Can I tell you something? I don't know who has misdiagnosed your problem as some surface level problem, but tonight, I want to bring the power of the Holy Spirit to bear on whatever your issue is. And I'm praying that you would get some discernment on not just the fruit of the problem, but the root of the problem. What the underlying cause of your sin issue is, because sin is not just your desire for pleasure. It is actually your desire to eliminate pain in your life. Come on, I want to give you the five kinds of pain that everyone needs. If this is helpful, if you're in the chat and this is helping you right now, I need you to let me know something in the chat. Say, come on, Pastor Manny, you are helping me. Come on, Pastor Manny, you're, you're yep, this is helpful. PM, yep, pre, cle, pre, please keep preaching, okay? Please keep preaching. Let's go. Okay, I, I got a couple minutes left and I want to give you five kinds of pain that everyone needs. Five kinds of pain that everyone needs. If you are avoiding these areas of pain, you are going to lack uh, maturity, okay? Number one, the pain of rejection. Yes, the pain of rejection. You need the pain of rejection in order to be whole and healthy and self-sufficient and not form codependent relationships and not be so dependent upon people's approval and validation, you need the pain of rejection. The Bible says that Jesus was scorned and rejected. Jesus goes through the pain of rejection. Judas rejects him. Judas, uh, Judas rejects him. Peter rejects him. Actually denies Jesus. The Jewish people that he sent to save and rescue, they reject him. Let me tell you something right now. If you are addicted to compliments, if you are addicted to relational, uh, relational closeness with people, you are always going to be at risk for being someone who uses relationships as a way to self-soothe your pain. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be some isolated hermit. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is at some point, you are going to have to experience the pain of rejection. Because when you actually undergo rejection, there's two, two uh, results of undergoing rejection. The first result is that your insecurities pop up. You start feeling insecure. You start assuming that they've rejected me because there's something wrong with me. Or... Instead of your insecurities popping up, you start to actually form confidence. You begin to say things, not as a defense mechanism, but because you actually mean it. And you say, you know what? Well, it's their loss, not mine. You know, I, I'm not even going to really cry over this because, man, it hurts. I thought we were cool. But this is an opportunity for me to find my identity, not in my friendship group, not in a boyfriend or girlfriend but to find my identity in something that can never be taken away from me, to find my identity and who I am in Christ. At some point, you are going to have to
to go through the pain of rejection. If you can never be alone, never be by yourself, never tone your phone off, then you have an addiction to people that is eventually going to become a source of weakness and a path to downfall in your life. Number two, you got to keep it moving. I'm, I'm running out of time. Come on. Let me know if this is helpful in the chat. Number two, the pain of self-denial, the pain of discipline, the pain of discipline. If you're in the chat right now, if you're watching this live, if you're watching this pre-recorded, you are going to have to experience the pain of discipline. If you do not experience the pain of discipline, then you are going to inevitably <laughs> need some outside force to discipline you. It's funny. My parents used to say this to me all the time. Well, specifically, my father used to say this to me. And my father would say this to me every single time he had to beat me when I was a kid. There was never a time where my father beat me where he did not say these words. He'd look at me and he'd say, look, son, I'm disciplining you so that a police officer will never have to discipline you. And that, I will take that to my grave. My father was clear. Look, I'm not disciplining you because I'm angry. I'm not disciplining you because I'm disappointed. Nope, I'm disciplining you because if you don't undergo the pain of discipline, there's going to be someone else that is going to discipline you. And I'm here to let you know, if you do not have self-discipline, then you will ultimately need outside discipline. If you don't have inside discipline, you're going to have to have outside discipline. If you don't have the discipline, and if you don't have the discipline to, to, to go to the gym and to work out, then you're going to have to get a trainer because what that trainer is going to do is that trainer is going to supplement the discipline that you do not have internally. You are going to have to have the pain of discipline. Now, here's where I want to define the word passion. I want to define the word passion for us, all right? Because a lot of us think, yeah, just pursue your passion. Yeah, man, I got, I got, I got my job, like my nine to five, and then, yo, I'm working on this passion project. And what people mean when they say that is when they think about passion, they think about excitement. But if you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, the passion of the Christ is not about the excitement of the Christ. No, it's about what Jesus is willing to suffer for. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's not a passion until you are willing to bleed and suffer and die for it. Not a passion. You're really passionate about music? Then guess what? Anyone who has seen this Kanye West documentary on Netflix can attest. Anyone who's passionate about something will sacrifice, spend their own money, be in the hospital. Don't matter if you're in the middle of a car accident. I watched this Kanye West documentary, and I went, that's what passion looks like. We got all of these wannabe entrepreneurs out here, because every millennial is an entrepreneur nowadays. We got all these entrepreneurs like, dude, this is my passion. It's not your passion unless your mouth is wired shut and there's still a song in you that can't help but coming out. It's your passion if you're willing to go to Gethsemane, if you're willing to be crushed, if you're willing to suffer for it. That's when you can say it's your passion. We have misunderstood passion as just something I'm excited about. I'm not preaching is not my passion because I get loud when I think about it. No, preaching is my passion because if I have a voice or not, I'm going to preach. Whether I'm tired or not, I'm going to preach. Whether I feel like it or not, 
I'm gonna preach. I'm gonna, I used to preach for no money. I now preach for some money. I'll do it broke if I have to. I have a passion for this. This is not just a, a side hustle. No, this is my life's passion. Jeremiah said, this fire shut up in my bones. I'm, I've tried to contain it and I can't. I've tried to hold it in. It is absolutely impossible. Passion is not just, to be passionate does not just mean I'm excited. To be passionate means the passion of the Christ. You should watch the movie, The Passion of the Christ. It's about the cross. If you are not willing to go to the cross, then you are not passionate about that thing. Number three, the pain of consequences. Oh boy, we don't wanna talk about this one, this is hard. Everyone needs the pain of consequences. Consequences. It's funny, I have an older brother, and uh, my older brother has a scar on his stomach. My older brother has a, this big scar on his stomach because when he was small, my, my, he, my mom had, was, was pregnant as a teenager, had two young kids, and my mother said to my brother, hey, do not touch the stove. For whatever reason, my brother kept wanting to go over to the stove as a little kid. My mother kept saying, do not go over to that stove. Do not touch the stove. My mom would spank him. My mom would hit him. Doesn't matter what my mom did. He was just drawn to the stove. I have no idea why. Stoves aren't even cool. Cool. Anyway, he would keep going over to the stove. This is in the 70s. It's a long time ago. My, my, my biological brother is actually 18 years older than me. So I don't know what stoves were like back then. I, I really don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in my 30s. Uh, so my mom said, don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. Well, guess what? Eventually, my brother just refused to listen. This over the course of months. Finally walked over to the stove, touched the stove, burnt his entire stomach, had to get rushed to the ER. And to this day, he has a scar on his stomach from where he burnt his stomach on the stove as a little boy. Guess what my brother never did a day in his life after that? He never touched that stove ever again in his entire life because some of us, you've, God has given you wisdom. Other people have said, hey, don't do that. You've heard sermons where people are like, hey, don't do that. You've heard all types of things. God has been sending you signs. Your mama told you don't do that. Your pastor told you don't do that. You No, no, but guess what? At some point, God goes, all right. I guess the only way you're going to learn is if you get consequences. Now, in church, we mistake curses for consequences. Let me be very, very clear. God has not cursed you. There's a lot of people who are like, God's cursed me. No, God has not cursed you. God, God ain't even punishing you. This is not God's punishment. This is just normal, earthly, human consequences. My mom did not stick my brother to the stove and say, there you go, see, now you got, no, that's evil. God is not evil. God is not making consequences happen. No, what God does is like, just go, ah, what you want, what you've shown me with your actions is that you want a world without me. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to remove myself from the world because that's what you want. 
And when God removes himself, guess what happens? All hell breaks loose. The God that was protecting you from all those consequences is no longer present. And so God is not the one cursing you or punishing you. Nope. God is just letting life do what it do, baby. And life hurts. If you play the game of life wrong, life has consequences. And one of the most immature things you could ever do is to live life like there's no consequences. Life has consequences. You reap what you sow. And you're only foolish if the consequences don't teach you something. At some point, consequences are supposed to make you wise. If the consequences don't make you wise, the consequences was a waste. And that means you got a bigger issue than just wanting to run away from pain. Number four, the fifth, the fourth pain that everybody needs is the pain of truth. Because truth hurts. The pain of truth. You know how many friendships I do not have because I thought I was close enough with someone to be honest with them, and then I was honest with them, and I realized that they could not handle the truth. They could only handle their truth. See, my truth. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. Well, the problem is your truth never hurts you. What's the point of the truth if the truth doesn't actually do what it's supposed to do? The Bible says that truth is like a mirror. That you're supposed to look in it. No one looks in the mirror and goes, dang, I got crust in my eyes. And, yo, I got stuff in my teeth. Eh, it's fine. And walks out and just goes about life with boogers hanging out their nose and their hair looking all a mess. No, the point of a mirror is to reveal What's wrong so that you can fix it? What's the point of a friendship? What's the point of a marital relationship? Money is a mirror. Money will show you what you really value. Marriage is a mirror. It will show you what you actually value. And not only is it a mirror, I don't know if you've ever seen these mirrors. It's double-sided, and if you flip it, one side will magnify stuff on your face. Not only is marriage and money a mirror, but it is a magnifying mirror. It will begin to show you if you think that your lust issue is going to go away when you get married, you are sadly mistaken. Marriage does not fix your lust problem. Come on, give me this camera. Come on. Marriage does not fix your lust problem. Marriage magnifies your lust problem. Marriage will make your lust issue worse, not better, if you don't deal with that before you get married. Okay, come on, let's keep going. The pain of truth. My best friend in the world, Brian Bullock, he called me recently and was like, dude, you know what, man? You are really my best friend. You're the person that's hurting me the most. That's how I know we're friends. And I was like, absolutely, Brian. I will always be honest with you. And he's always been honest with me. Brian has said things to me that have made me go, I never want to talk to this dude another day in my life. And that's exactly why I have him in my life. What's the point of having a friend in my life if you don't show me my blind spots, my weaknesses. Number one, you need the pain of rejection. Number two, you need the pain of discipline. Number three, you need the pain of consequences. Number four, you need the pain of the truth. And last but not least, the pain of patience. The pain of having to wait. The pain of having to wait for something. Do you know if God answered all your prayers right away? Oh, man. You, you, you barely appreciate the stuff that God gives you. Me and my wife, we waited for five years to finally be parents. And every single time I look at my son, 
I think to myself, it was worth the wait. Every day, every month, every year that I had to wait for this little dude to be born, every time I had to wait for us to get pregnant, it was worth the wait. And the pain of waiting did something to me. The pain of waiting didn't just make me want a son, it turned me into a father. The process to get to the destination actually changed me. I became less selfish. I became somebody who could actually prioritize another human being. Man, there's a pain that is in direct relation to you having to wait for the thing that you want. And you've got to ask yourself the question, do I actually want to become the kind of person that can sustain what I'm asking for? Or do I just want the product, the end goal, the destination? At some point, God's going to make you wait. Why? Because God's more concerned with your development than your desires. I need you to get that. He's more concerned with your development than your desires. He wants you to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's what the book of James tells us. Okay, number one, the pain of rejection. Number two, the pain of self-discipline. Number three, the pain of consequences. Number four, the pain of the truth. If your pastor told you the truth and you got mad and left the church, please repent. If your spouse told you the truth about something and then you gave them the silent treatment, please apologize. If somebody told you the truth and you got an attitude, that means you're insecure and you're defensive. You need people. When people tell you the truth, that's actually a good place to prove to them that you are someone who can handle truth. You always want to greet truth with, with open arms. If I tell someone the truth and they get an attitude, I'm never going to be honest with them again. Do not be someone who has to be argued with every time somebody is honest with you. And lastly, the pain of waiting, the pain of patience. I pray that you would find all five of these pains, that these pain points would be evident in your life. Samson finally experiences some pain, and that pain leads to breakthrough. And that breakthrough leads to repentance, and that repentance leads to a final chance to finally be what God had always wanted him to be. And we're going to continue talking about Samson's life next week. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for every single person watching this right now, for every single person who's watching it after the recording date. God, I ask that you would help us to invite pain into our lives, that God, that we would be the kind of people that, that we would not run away from pain, but that we would embrace pain because we want to be great. And we understand that the capacity of our personal greatness is only limited by our pain tolerance. God, we need you. We're desperate for you. We love you. God, we ask that as we log off, as we go our separate ways, that you would bless us. God, we pray your face would shine upon us. God, give us increase in every area of our life and let the seed of your word germinate in our hearts, producing a harvest of righteousness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all said together, amen, amen, amen. I should have said we all typed together. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, say amen in the chat if this was a blessing for you. 
hey, we'll see you at church on Sunday, live in person. If you're in North Carolina, if you're local, can't wait to see you. If you don't live in North Carolina, hey, how about you log in again on Sunday? Our pastor's got a word for you. I'll be right here again next Wednesday night, continuing this series called Don't Touch My Hair. I love you. Till next time, peace.